Ephesians chapter 1. And let's go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time that we have to open the Word and to see what you'd have us to see from the Word. And we just thank you and ask you that you will be with us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to try to make two points. I'm not sure that I'm going to make it through. Verse 13. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So we start out with this verse. It says, in whom also you trusted, and this refers to last week's message when it talked about the mystery of Christ, the fact that Jesus came so that all people would have access to God. And this was a mystery to the Jews. The mystery for the Jews was that, uh, that God would care for the Gentiles. They had this attitude of it's us and God and nobody else. And we talked a lot about that last week, you know, that God came and he says, no, it's been true from the beginning that I wanted all people to be in fellowship with me. And so Paul, in this start of this verse, he says, in whom you have trusted after you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, after that you believed. You know, the gospel of salvation. We talk a lot about the gospel. And, you know, a lot of people think the gospel message is really hard. They have trouble. But, you know, we've covered this so many times. The gospel message is real simple. We're all sinners. <laughs> we deserve punishment. And Jesus came and paid for the sin that we committed so that we don't have to pay for it. And we accept that gift, and we're saved. Simple gospel. You tell it to any three or four or five-year-old in Sunday school, and they understand the message. You know, unfortunately, somehow, when we tell it to adults, it gets kind of garbled somehow, and people don't hear it right. And the gospel of it said, you trusted the gospel message, the simplicity of the gospel. Now, can it be complicated? Oh, yes. I've told you all, you know, this little simple thing that I said in five minutes, I've seen a series of books that are, you know, like 13 pages, all four or 500 book, you know, pages per book, you know, 15 books in the series, all about salvation. Now, so if you want to complicate it, you can be my guest and complicate it, but it all boils down to a real simple message. Jesus paid for our sins. So we want to be able to look at that. That is salvation. That's the simplicity of salvation. Unfortunately, you go to a lot of churches and you don't hear a simple gospel message. You hear, you know, get saved by grace and then serve God with all, all, all of your might, heart, and soul because you've got to keep your salvation. You know, here's your list of rules to follow to be saved. You know, and, you know, you get saved by grace, but then you keep it by following all these rules. You know, and this is where it gets sad. You know, I've seen people struggling to be a good Christian. <laughs> instead of letting God just crucify their flesh and letting him live through them. Doesn't mean the rules are not important. We've talked about this. We're not advocating antinomianism. Just go out and do whatever you want because Jesus paid for your sin. You know, we're not trying to say that because if he's in your heart, you're going to want to serve him. You know, if, you, if you love him, you're going to want to do what he wants you to do. But not because you're being forced to, not because somebody's got a whip in a chair saying, get moving. <laughs> You know, it's because you want to help do what he wants. But then it says this very important thing, and this is one of the two things I want to really look at. You were sealed 
with that Holy Spirit of promise, you know, sealed. In the, in the days of Paul and the Romans, uh, they did not have envelopes like we do, where you put your letter in, you lick the, the glue on it, or get the glue wet, and stick it, to, stick it down, and you have a sealed envelope. They would stick it into their envelope or pouch, they'd fold the paper down, they'd put a blob of wax, on, you know, melted wax on that connection, and then they would take their ring, which had a signet in, and they stamp it in. And this says, I have sealed this letter, here's my, here's my signet ring, it's my proof that I sealed this. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now what is the purpose of, even for us sticking a, a letter in an envelope, what is the purpose of doing that? When you get an letter that has, that has an opened en envelope, or not sealed envelope, what is the first thing you think? Who has been in this? You know, who, who has read? Who, is, this, is this even what was originally sent to me? Has somebody been into it? That seal literally is the mark of what is inside is authentic and untouched. We are saved through Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to pay for sins, and because of that, I'm saved. Not because I go out and I do a bunch of good things, not because I feed the poor, not because I go visit people in jail, I, not because I clothe the, the poor. Those are all good things. But Jesus said that there will be many in that day that say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they say all those things. I fed the poor, I gave to the I, I went to the hospitals, I went to the jails, I cast out demons, you know, you can include I went to church every Sunday, I went to church every Sunday night, you know, all these things, and he said, and Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Because it's not the good works that get us into heaven. It's not the things I do, because if I could do anything to earn heaven, Jesus didn't need to die. He had to die because the wages of sin is death. And every one of us has sinned, and every one of us has earned death. Not just us, but everybody else in the world. <laughs> There's nobody in this world that has does not sinned, other than Jesus. Everybody else has committed at least one sin in their life, and probably one sin every every day or one, every hour. You know, very. You know, I don't know too many people that go through a whole day without sinning, and probably not too many people that he can make through hours without sinning. Our flesh desires to sin. And that wage that we've earned from our sin is death, eternal punishment. And Jesus died. He saves us. We are put in Christ. We get put in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus because we are put in Christ. Because of the finished work of Christ, he put our sin under the blood and he clothes us with his righteousness. We're put in Christ and then the Holy Spirit comes along and puts a seal on us and says, the contents of this container are authentic. I have just, just stamped it to say, with God's signet ring, that they are sealed. They are authentic. They are not changed. And when God opens that, looks at that letter, he goes, okay, it's the same thing I put into it. Yeah. And this is important for us to understand. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is so vitally important to us. It's that stamp that says we're authentic. You know, there's not a fake in this letter. You know, they didn't open it, open it up and put a fake in here. This is what was supposed to be in there. 
When Jesus went to his tomb, they put the seals on wax all over the tomb. Each one of the Pharisees and, the, and Pilate put their signet ring in wax saying, this is sealed and we're proving that nobody else is going to get into it. The, you know, could they counterfeit those signet rings? I suppose they had counterfeiters that counterfeited them, but you know, it's not, it's not wasn't the normal. And this was, if you wanted somebody to write letters in your name, you'd give them your signet ring and whatever they wrote and sealed was, was done in your name, your authority. But the power that this is, the Holy Spirit has signified that we are authentic. We are in Christ, we're authentic believers. And we want to think about this. What does this mean to be in Christ? We've talked a little bit about this in the past, but we are in Christ. God sees us as perfect because we are in Christ. He declares us perfect in the courtrooms of heaven. He's still sanctifying us. He's made us his sons and daughters. But you know, how many times do we listen to the lies of this world, the lies that we are not perfect, that we're not worth anything. I was thinking about this just today. How often does the world lie to us in the first place? You know, uh, whether it's our parents, you know, we hear echoes of our parents. You, you're never going to amount to anything. You're just worthless. You know, you, you always make mistakes. Maybe, maybe sometimes, you know, especially as we're getting older, it's our kids talking to us as we're older. You know, now you're just getting, you know, incompetent, you need my help all the time, and we start really listening to it and we buy into it. We buy into the, to the lies from the world about what, what beauty's all about. You know, men are told you've got you to gotta have your abs all flat, you've got to have muscles, and, you know, and women are told unless you're as thin as a rail and, you know, and no, no blemishes, you have no look, and then we get to a place where we believe that kind of stuff. It happens also in the spiritual world. How often have you sinned? You've asked for forgiveness. You know that God has forgiven you. And then somebody will come along and say, well, I know who you really are. You know, I know that you really haven't changed. And God's saying, I've given you some truth. Buy into the truth. Believe the truth. I'm, told, I'm asked quite frequently, how do you get victor victory over these things? How do you stand victorious in, in the truths that God gives you? And I'm going to say something that's going to be really simple. You just do it. You just do it. You know, and, I, and every time I say that to everybody, they go, well, I, that's easy to say, easier said than done. And I'll agree with you, it's easier said than done. But start doing it. How did you learn to walk? You just. You know, you probably don't remember learning to walk, but your parents helped you stand up and they helped you take your first steps. And before long, you were toddling all over the house, falling down, getting back up. And eventually, you got to the place where you walked without falling down very often. <laughs> uh, you know, how did you learn to, to play sports? You know, I know that everybody in this room that's ever played a sport just went out there and was a superstar the very first time they picked up a glove and caught the ball the very first time. And they could hit the baseball every single time it came over the plate. Well, you can't ever get to that place anyway, but, but, but if you remember back in the problem is most of us don't remember the days of learning to do something. You know, we don't usually remember how hard it was to learn. Most of us get, got into our car today, turned the key, and drove without thinking very much about what we were doing. Do you remember back when you were young and you were trying to learn to drive? 
you know, uh, there's a mirror, there's a car over there. No, you know, you're, you're, you're nervous about everything. Even if, you, even if you're driving an automatic, you're still, you know, conscious of looking in that mirror, looking in this mirror, looking over your shoulder. You know, there's a car 20 yards down the road that might come in front of me, you know. And now you get in the car and you just <laughs> drive and usually we get into accidents because we're not thinking about what we're doing anymore. But the point is on this, we don't remember necessarily learning like that. Now, the reason I remember, because I've taught six people how to drive a car, and it keeps getting in my mind very clearly how nervous they are, and realizing that I must have been that way, and remembering some of the nervousness I had learning. Same thing with spiritual growth. It's going to seem very hard at first. And when I say just do it, I mean just do it. <laughs> Speak words that say that are in agreement with Christ. I am victorious. He has given me victory. He is crucifying my flesh. And just start walking in it. Will you fall down? Absolutely. Will you be a hard to do? Absolutely. But once you get through that area, whatever that area is, and you get to the other side and you realize that you've done it, you'll look back and say, boy, that was pretty easy to do. Because you have forgotten all the steps and all the falls and all the, all the failures and, and the hard, hard time to get in it. You know, we learn to surrender. How do you surrender? You do it. <laughs> you know, uh, I was thinking about this, you know, and this revelation came to me, I was studying and in the background was one of these cop shows and, they, and this guy said, come out with your hands up. And I was studying surrender at the time and it was kind of an amazing thing that this, this thing came out. You know, the, the person inside that house or in that side of that building has two choices when he's told or he or she is told, come out with your hands up. They can choose to keep fighting <laughs> and maybe lose their life, or they throw down their weapon, they come out with their hands up. Okay, this is what it is in the spiritual life. We can sit there and fight with God and argue with God, and God is too hard, I just can't do it. Or we just start saying, all right, God, I'm, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just going to go out and do what it is you've asked me to do. And I can guarantee you, you're going to be bombarded all the time with, you know, you're going to be bombarded with the people who know you and saying, well, we're just going to wait to see if this is really true. You know, how many people with addictions have had their, their, their recovery uh, sabotaged by their, uh, their, their family and friends saying, ah, well, you've done this before. We're just going to wait for it to happen again. You know, and that attitude comes out at you really strong. We come into church and somebody comes into church and they're newly saved and the first thing we think of, well, yeah, I knew this person. They're, they're a thief or they're a liar. They'll just, you know, they're not a new creation. They're not going to be different. And instead of edifying and building them up, we're going, just waiting for them to fall. Just waiting for them to fall. Will they fall? Probably. But then we say, come on back, repent and come on back and have longer period of time between your next fall, God is out there to forgive us. He's put all our sins under the, under the blood. You know, and there are a lot of people that believe that God forgave your sins when you first got saved and you had to do something about them from that point on. Well, I got news for you. All your sins when Jesus died were in the future and he knew about them. All of them. Not just the sins up to the time you got saved, but all the sins you will ever commit are forgiven and under the blood. Does that mean, again, does that mean I go out on my sin as much as possible just so I can enjoy about my sins being forgiven? No. But they are forgiven. 
And we need to be able to treat, number one, ourselves and say, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. He's going to crucify my flesh. And then as we deal with others, they're in Christ. Their sins are forgiven. Build up, edify, apply the love of God to one another. Jesus told the disciples, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. And the church is supposed to be very loving and very much trying to show God's love. And you know, people go, well, it's hard to love. And I'm going to say, absolutely, it's very hard to love. Especially if you're trying to find, find love as a feeling. Love, true love is not a feeling. Infatuation's a feeling. You know, lust is a feeling. <laughs> but true love is not a feeling. True love, God's love, is objective. It's a choice. We choose to love one another. A marriage that lasts a long time is because the individuals have chosen to love one another. If they're trying to just stay together because they have a feeling for each other, they're going to fall after three or four years. And we see that. That's the, the divorce rate. Three or four years in the marriage, we don't feel like I love you, I never, so I obviously never loved you, so they get divorced. And they're right, they never loved each other. They had good feelings, they had, they had infatuation for each other. But you know, true love chooses to love and says, you know, and I've shared with you, I've been married just a few decades. You know, a few. Just a few, three. <laughs> 3. 3.4 decades. My wife hates it when I say it that way. She says it sounds too big. <laughs> but, you know, uh, but you know, over that period of time, there's been times when we've been very much feeling in love for each other. And then there's times where, we, where, we, where I know I have, I'm sure she has, she's looked over across the room, who is this person living in this house with me and why are we together? You know, but by choosing to love, you say, we're just gonna keep going. I have chosen to love this person. God has chosen to love us. He's not going to unlove us because he's not gonna choose not to love us. We as fellow believers need to say, I'm going to choose to love other believers. Not because they deserve it, because they don't. Not because they're really the nicest people in the world, because they may not be. <laughs> but because God says, these are the family members and I want you to love them. We want to be very much looking at this. Love is a choice. And that choice will keep us loving somebody even when there's nothing to love. When somebody says they're a Christian and they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it does not mean they're going to be perfect from that point forward. I wish it did. <laughs> I really wish it did. But I can guarantee to everybody here that I'm going to do things that are not going to be something that, you're going to, that you'll like. And it's not going to be on purpose. It's just because I'm human and I sin and I've got you know, problems in my life. It's like everybody else. But you know, the idea is, are we going to love each other through those problems, in spite of those problems, in spite of what goes on? And Jesus said, love one another. He sealed us as, as, as authentic. He comes in and he crucifies the flesh. And as I've told you, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, is one of my favorite verses. Not because I like to be crucified. <laughs> it's painful to be crucified. It's painful to have our flesh crucified. But you know, when you get to the other end, it's great. 
when he when you allow him to crucify your flesh and you're stepping out and you're learning to to be obedient in that area and you get to the other side where you're more obedient than not obedient there's great reward there's great love you know, I, I see people all the time they go well I just can't forgive so and so for what they did I go why not well I don't know well, just forgive them it may take lots of practice to finally forgive them but you just do it you keep saying I'm gonna do it and eventually you get to the place where you just forgive people really easy really easy they go, well, well people take advantage of me if I do that you know I'm not had too many people take advantage of my desire to forgive them but you know what's more important than that? God is my defense. Even if they want to take advantage of me, I have the greatest defense of, of, all, of all, and it's God. You know, we, one of the people commented that the Dolan Springs Church had somebody come in and vandalize, you know, vandalize and steal some stuff out of it. And their comment was, how could anybody steal from God? I agree, how could anybody steal from God? But you know what? Because they did, they do have a God who's going to come after them. Now the grace of God is wonderful. He is very gracious. And it is long-term graciousness before he comes down on somebody. When he does, he comes down hard. And I've seen this over and over in people's lives. I don't have to desire for people to get punished. And I have no desire to see people punished because I know when I've watched God punish them that I didn't have to take joy in what they got. What they got. Matter of fact, I was sad because of what they got. But I also knew that God wouldn't have done it if they were paying attention to his gentle calls. And so many times we have to learn the hard way. Now, many of us are very hard-headed. I include myself very much in that area. I'm very hard-headed and it takes me a long time to learn something. And God has to knock me down sometimes. And sometimes he has to knock me down really hard for me to, to, to listen and obey. I'm getting better. The more I walk with him, the better it is. But I can remember when I was younger, it was, you know, fight with God all tooth and nail to, before I change things. But you know, most people are that way. Now, for many of us who've had kids and grandkids, we look at our kids and our grandkids and go, why won't they just do this the right way? And we try to help them by trying to keep the problems away from them. And we may or may not be helping them when we do that. Now, if we keep the hard, you know, it took us the hard things to learn to follow God, and if we keep the hard things away from our kids and our grandkids, are we truly helping them? And the answer to that is maybe, maybe not. This is where you have to start listening to God. But I'm going to say, in most cases, you're probably not helping them by keeping hardship out of their life. Because if they're not having to face the hardship, they're not going to grow up. They're not going to make the changes God's asked them to make. And then we see them doing really crazy things that, you know, when they shouldn't be, when they should have learned. Uh, and it's very critical that we listen to God, but that we take these steps. God has made us perfect. He declared us perfect. Now, as I said, I wish it was true that we became perfect the day he declared us perfect. It would have made life a whole lot simpler, I think. You know, but then I look at Jesus, and his life wasn't simple, and he was perfect, too, so... You know, being perfect is not going to make life all that simple. Because <laughs> there's going to be lots of people who don't like it <laughs> and want to make your life difficult. So I guess sanctification really isn't that big a deal because our life is going to be difficult either way, so we might as well just learn to become what God said we are. But 
if we expect people to be perfect, we're going to be disappointed. I've heard so many people, well, I don't go to church because, you know, this person did something to me in this church, and this person did something to me in this church, and this pastor did something in this church, and this, you know, Sunday school teacher said something in this church, and they've got this whole long list of reasons. Well, I'm going to tell you, I've been walking for God for 44 years, and I've been to a lot of churches. I've not found a perfect church. Uh, and as a matter of fact, if for some reason I did find that perfect church, I better not attend to it because it wouldn't be perfect anymore. <laughs> you know, so we want to be careful about that. There, there are, we can make a million and one reasons why we don't want to go to church. And it's always, you know, have you ever noticed it's always somebody else's fault that I don't go? You know, and that'll be true of any of us. You know, I've shared with you when I was in my 20s and I got into workaholism and stopped going to church. And, you know, it was my choice not to go, but I blamed others. They didn't call me. They didn't say they missed me. They didn't, they didn't send me cards. And you know what? They probably had a small part in that decision to make it worse, but it was still my decision not to go. Okay, and it's taken me years to get to that point where I can say, hey, it was me. It wasn't them. But we always, when you talk to somebody who's not coming to church, it's always... Well, it's that person over there, that person said this, that person did that, they gave me a bad look, they, they didn't say hi to me, they, they, they gave me a look as if what am I doing in this building, you know, whatever it might be, God says be there and love one another. You know, if you're looking for perfect people, you're not going to find them. And I've said this over and over again, when a sinner does something wrong, I'm not surprised. <laughs> because that's who they are. That's who I am. I'm a sinner. If I do something wrong, say something wrong, it is me. <laughs> and it's who I am. When I do something right and, and nice and loving and kind, it's God. <laughs> because that's who he is working out of us. Now, the longer you're with God, the more loving you're going to be, probably. The more kind you're going to be. The, the closer to the more you've been sanctified, the closer you are to, to being like God, the less you might sin. You know, I expect people who are Christians to sin less than the rest of the world, but I'm not surprised when they sin. I'm not surprised when they say something that hurts people's feelings or say something off the cuff because they are sinners. And we need to have that mindset. You know, how could Jesus, the, the perfect Messiah, come around all these people you know, you know, he's God. <laughs> he hates, he, will, he would have hated all the sin that he saw. You know, I could picture Jesus walking around saying, well, you know, sinner, <laughs> you know, bolt of lightning, you're gone, sinner. You know, nobody living in Jerusalem, Judea, or any place because he said, sinners, you're gone. Why could he not do it? Why did he not do it? He knew they were sinners. <laughs> he knew they were going to sin. <laughs> And he knew that his purpose was there to pay for their sin. We need to get to the place where we say, we're all sinners. That means even myself. I'm going to sin. I need to be able to forgive myself. I need to forgive others that sin because they are sinners. When they sin, they're just acting out their nature of who they are. When we're in Christ, we have the strength to be able to not sin. And then it's, it's wonderful being around that person who's walking in Christ and, and being kind and being loving and showing Christ. 
But don't ever get to the place where you get so used to Christ coming out of them that when they sin, it, it shocks you and you, it drops you to your knees and, well, I can't be around them anymore. They, 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 they were mean. No. We want to be careful. We want to be able to say, I am sealed in Christ. I am authentic. When we get to heaven and God opens up that envelope, he says, here's the authentic person that I put in there. All that rest of them we saw is, is not doesn't mean anything because I covered that sin. I clothed them in Christ. When you stand before God in heaven, all he'll see is the sun. He's not going to see all the sins that you committed because they're covered. When you stand at the Bema seat of Christ, which is where we as Christians will stand at the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, where all of our works are burnt. He's not looking to say, well, you deserve punishment. He's saying, how much reward are you going to get? Everything I've done in my, own, in my flesh, whether it's good or bad, is going to be burnt up. Whatever I let him do through me comes out of the fire, and I get rewarded for it. So you want to be careful. Don't feel pressured to serve God, because if you're serving him out of pressure, out of desire, that's the wrong motivation. If you're serving God in what he's asked you to serve in, you're going to be at peace. You're going to have comfort. Yeah. I've seen people that do very little in the church, and they're very happy. I've seen people who do a lot of things in the church, and they're happy because they're doing what God told them to do. I've also seen people who do no little to nothing in the church that aren't doing what God told them to do, and they're miserable. And I've seen people who are doing everything they can possibly put, on, put their hands on, and they're miserable, burnt out, because they're doing everything God told them not to do. Okay? And what they're doing is going to burn up when they stand before Christ. So if you're not serving God where he's told you to serve, stop. Stop. Yeah. And it's probably the last thing you'd ever hear a pastor ex expect to say, but I don't want people doing things because they feel obligated to do something. Because it's not going to be the reward. Besides the fact, the person who's supposed to be doing it will see you doing it and say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And, I've, and I've shared with this, you know, if there's some ministry we want to do and nobody steps forward to do it, then we're not going to do that ministry, no matter how much I think we should be doing it, because obviously others don't, don't think it's important. And if somebody comes to me and says, well, I think we should be doing something, you know, this for a ministry, I'm going to help them do as much as I can to get it started, because they have a heart for it. And I think I've shared with you, I, I went to a church in Baltimore where this guy came up to the pastors and he says, I want to start a Bible study at the airport. Now, who in their right mind wants to start a Bible study at the airport where you get different people every single day? He, he started the Bible study. He said, go ahead, go start your Bible study in the airport. And people were getting saved every week at his Bible study. Wow. You know, if the leadership had said, well, that's a dumb idea. We're not going to support you in that. You know, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? Souls wouldn't have gotten saved. So we want to be able to encourage people. Whatever... God is telling you to do, we want to help you get started. There's a number of things I want to see our church doing, but until we're ready, we're not going to be able to do them. But when people come to me and say, you know, I think we really should be doing this, and it matches up with what I've already been told, it's going to be wonderful because it's like, okay, let's help you get it started. We need different ministries. We need more, more going on in this church. You know, we have Celebrate Recovery because a guy came to me and said, you know, I'd like to come, to, come up there and do Celebrate Recovery. I'm going, fine by me. Fine by me. What has God put on your heart that we should be doing as a church? Pray about it.
If God puts something in your heart, come talk to me about it and we'll help you get it started. Because I have no problem in letting other people do ministry. Because if you're waiting for me to do it, I, I only have limited time. I can only do so much. Uh, and it's just like with the Operation Christmas Child. I'm glad somebody stepped up to say we're going to do this because I didn't have the time to do what needed to be done to make it happen. You know, even though I totally believe in it, it's a great program, it's not something I had time to make sure happened. What is God putting on your heart? What do you think that God is asking you to do? Just step forward. Step forward and do it. Because you are his child. You are perfect in his eyes. And you have the same power that everybody else has. The Holy Spirit is in you. And I've shared with so many people, it is wonderful to have the Holy Spirit. When you're studying the Word of God, your most strong weapon that you're going to have to study the Scripture is the Holy Spirit. You can have a million commentaries. You can have all the lexicons in the world. You know, all the computer programs that give you every piece of information that's ever been available on that Scripture. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, all you're getting is knowledge. And I can tell you for a fact, and I have told you, when I was a teenager, I went to God a couple of times because I heard all kinds of different things about verses, and I'm going, God, I, I just don't agree with what I was just taught. What is the truth? And the Holy Spirit gave me an answer. And the wonderful thing is when I went to Bible college and started getting into the Greek and Hebrew, I found out that the Holy Spirit knew what he was talking about. <laughs> now, the Holy Spirit will give you the right answer. He'll help get you to that answer. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you today. We thank you that you have sealed us as authentic, that we are in your, your family, that you care for us. Lord, if there's anybody here who has not accepted you as their Lord, we ask that you work on their heart. Convince them that they know they're a sinner. Convince them that they know they deserve punishment. And convince them that they need to ask you to come into their heart, forgive them of their sins, and come into their life. And if you've asked, done that, come and talk to me. I've got a book to help get you started on how to walk with God. And Lord, we ask that you bless the time of singing that we have here and that you will be with us as we go out today. In Jesus' name, amen.